JJ Cooper, Josh Norris here, Baseball America Prospects Podcast today, AFL edition, Arizona Fall League begins today, and I'm excited because the Arizona Fall League is awesome, but this is, let me just be clear, Josh is on this podcast, and Josh views the Arizona Fall League like I view the Rule 5 draft and, you know, very few other things. Josh loves the Arizona Fall League, and it's not just because he gets to have Mongolian Grill on a very regular basis. But, but Josh, glad to kind of sit down. Let's talk through rosters. We're going to look at kind of some of the players who have a lot to prove in the AFL, some of the players who are most excited to see in the AFL, some of the players who just whether the, the, the content of whether this is a great class of AFL players or not. But to start it all, we lost a lot in 2020 with on the baseball side. Much bigger deal with COVID elsewhere, but no minor league season, which was rough. But also it meant no Arizona Fall League. Josh, what does it mean for you to have the Arizona Fall League back and to have that itinerary on your, uh, on your calendar to know that before long you will be watching AFL games? The Arizona Fall League is the best best six weeks of this year or any year, period. Uh, it, you can, I'm not just talking about the years in which the Fall League has existed. I'm talking about in recorded time. Uh, I live for this. If, if you gave me a fast forward button on life, I would simply wait till the final pitch of the, uh, the Fall League championship game, fast forward to next year and forego everything else in between. That's Thanksgiving, usually. That's Christmas, that's Hanukkah, that's my birthday, that's New Year's, that's minor league opening day, that's the major league season, uh, some of the postseason. And what's fortuitous this year uh, in that we are opening the fall league on a day when there are no playoff baseball games. I'd be curious as to if that has happened before um, in recent memory, but, you know, I kind of knew last year wasn't going to happen. I mean, obviously. Right. it was looking okay for a while. I think they had like a, an inkling about it, but then COVID's numbers got worse and duh. And it's also pretty costly to field an Arizona Fall League team. There was the uh, thought of Arizona and a Florida Fall League, which you know didn't happen. For oh, a lot of the reasons. dream. Oh, the I mean, dream. I still, I still think that should happen. If you want to start that up, if you wanted to do it where you could get had 20 guys or whoever, however you want to get 25 guys on a Red Sox team and a Rays team and a Cubs team and whatever, and do them in Arizona and Florida. I don't see why you should be limited to six or seven guys that need that extra development. I'm sure there are plenty of guys. Now this year is unique in, in that because of last year, you're going to have, you have guys who are running out of innings. So, you know, you don't have as many pitchers as you usually have, but I'm sure there are plenty of guys in every system who could use more at bats. See, this is, you just hit on, I love the Arizona fall league, but not as much as you for exactly that, because to me, the one thing, and we, we will see it again this year. We see it every year in the AFL, which is the pitching is much more hit or miss than the hitting the position players in the AFL for the simple and logical reason, which is a whole lot of guys, if you were healthy for the entirety, 
and you had a good season for the entirety of a minor league season, there's usually a lot of incentive not to go to the AFL. So what you get, and you get a nice mix, what you get are generally pitchers who, A, need to be decided whether you're going to put them on the 40-man or not. And so you get that, need that little bit of extra, especially that pitcher who pitched in Class A this year, and you're like, do we need to protect him or not? But some teams also say, let's keep that guy far away from the AFL where everyone else can look at him and say, oh, I think we want to take him if he's not protected. B, guys who had bad years, shut down at some point during it, injuries, whatever. And C, for lack of a better term, the pitchers who teams are like, eh, if they get another 30 innings, we'll be fine. And am I wrong? Or is that a, a, a reasonable explanation of, of kind of some of the issues that, that if we said like we were going to do, I love the idea of every team fielding a full AFL style team. I think that teams would come back and say, we don't have enough arms. It, it could be. I mean, but you also have your draftees. I mean, you field most of them either do or can field a full instructional league team and they have the arms to do that. So you might be, you might be dipping into a little quality. You might be getting more interesting instead of just, you know, that you're hurt, you're developing or you're struggling to find a spot on a 40 man roster guys. You might have, you know, those first year guys who you come down and you say, here's 15 innings at the end of the year against, you know, guys in your pod or at intra squads. So maybe that, um, I mean, I think it's doable. Some of these guys are going to go play winter ball too. If you took, if you said these guys are going to go play winter ball, keep them here and pay them accordingly. Probably that's probably the biggest loophole right there. Or loophole, uh, uh, hurdle right there is you know the the money but the point is we do have six wonderful beautiful amazing scrum tralescent arizona fall league teams that are starting play here in and i can't really do math six hours or so from when um, we're recording this yeah six hours or so and they are as usual stacked and as usual they were a little less they are a little less stacked now than they were when the rosters released and and as usual, they I, I will also become less stacked as the season goes along, as players hit their number, you know, like whatever. Right. You know, I mean, I, I you know, I, I posted those rosters. I was excited to get them. And full disclosure, I'm going down. I'm going to start on November 1st. I do not expect the rosters to look much like they do right now when I get there. Uh, there are certain guys who I'm, it's a race against the clock. I pick your thriller movie. I'm trying to cut the right wire to, you know, get the rosters to stay. Well, Riley Green it. is already off of this. We had Riley Green announce the Tigers uh, Uber prospect and Riley Green is out as he recovers from a concussion. So we've already had one very significant loss, but at the same time, the majority of our top hundred prospects that we had starting this uh, are still there. Yeah. And if you're, if you're a Tigers fan, you could take solace in the fact that you have Spencer Torkelson. I mean, I guess he's okay. And Ryan Creedler, who's there. Uh, and who is shouldn't be mentioned in the same breath as Torkelson and Green, but you shouldn't but forget about him. He's very interesting. Good. The managers in the Northeastern League love him, like love him. I would put it this way: he has had he has had a loud enough. He's a guy. We have this happen in the draft. I would say on a regular basis which is the player who's, he wasn't like he was not known. I mean, he's a fourth round pick in 2020, 
This isn't like a guy who came out of nowhere, but it happens every draft. And in this case, it's one year delayed because last year they didn't play games. But you has happens every draft that a guy's you'll see some players taken who you look at it a year the year that they become pros, they go out there and you realize this guy's better than a lot of the guys who were taken before him. And this is there's going to something here. This is a big leaguer without a doubt. And Creedler, I think, has already cleared that bar. Now, what kind of big leaguer he will be is a different story, but He's a fourth round pick who the question is not if he's going to be a big leaguer, it's going to be what kind of impact will he make in the majors credit to the tigers and credit to Creedler already for getting to that point right now. And I agree with you. He's one of the guys that you picked out as a, a player who could pop in the AFL. I do think that he could absolutely be talked about more in, you know, after the AFL than he was before just because it's simply because more people have seen him, but he's already done that this year. Many ways, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, shoot, he's got 22 bombs this year, which is the ninth. Well, tied for eighth most with Eddie's Leonard uh, among all shortstops in the minor leagues this year. Uh, he hit 270. He played, uh, I believe exclusively at double and triple a. I mean, what more do you want? I mean, this, this guy did really, really, really well this year, and he could be a factor on both sides of the ball. That's I, that fourth fourth that's rounder. A, that's a good. It's a good thing you want from your fourth rounder, right? And he's he's another example. Spencer Strider is obviously an example from last year's draft. Um, Jake Eater, Jake Eater, Jake Eater. Last year, I, I want to put added weight on it. Last year, you I think that you are going to find less normal distribution of talent in the 2020 draft than in almost any other draft for the simple reason that we had this unexpected science experiment, which is how do teams select talent when the season stops early in the season and you are left to determine uh, how you line team players up based off of incomplete and much reduced data. And so if you told me that we see more fourth, fifth round picks pop and we see more first round picks, second round picks bust from last year's draft, 2020 draft, wouldn't shock me at all. And the AFL is going to add to further kind of information on that because all of these players are still catching up for not entirely a lost year. A lot of these guys did spend time at the ATS. If you love the minors, there is some disconcerting you know, reality, which is there are players who really seem to respond well to that environment. There also are other players who it seems like getting to play real live games actually made a difference. The, the difference in quality of on-field play by the end of the minor league season versus the start of the minor league season is a reminder that the ATS where sometimes coach number two or open grass is playing the part of left field today doesn't replicate all of the game action experiences, but it is something where players did respond and improve in a lot of ways. So 
We're going to dive into kind of players to watch, players who have something to prove, including we're going to start it with a player who probably I would say we both agree has the most to prove in the AFL. But we're going to take a quick break before we do so. And we're back. So, Josh, I'll throw the question to you. I'm guessing you're probably thinking the same person I'm thinking. But who is the player who's who are who the industry wide evaluation of probably depends more on a good or an improved AFL than anyone else in in your mind? Well, we're we're both thinking about Mackenzie Gore, yes. and he is starting today for Peoria. <laughs> and I talked to a scout before, you know, a couple of days ago, who has that club. And another one of his uh, scout mates <clears throat> said to him, good luck figuring the blank out of Mackenzie Gore this year. Uh, that's the general, what's wrong with him? How did it happen? Is he back? What, I mean, it, you know, it was a, 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 whatever the opposite of a magical mystery tour is. It was some kind of mystery tour, but it sure wasn't magical this year for Mackenzie who, you know, was shaky last year, reportedly at the alternate site. Was I mean, shaky was shaky. In- not, not, I, would, I will say not reportedly, simply because where he came into the year, the fact that he didn't help them in their playoff push when they needed pitching help is a sign, is a reminder. And yeah, he definitely was shaky last year. Yes, and then was similarly meh in big league spring training. The numbers weren't terrible in El Paso this year, but it was uh, alarming enough to send him all the way back to Peoria, where he is right now, to uh, retool some things and then, you know, start him back on the the ACL. And then I think he went to Fort Wayne after that. And then double A just kind of climbing back up, baby steps. And the numbers still were okay. He still walked a lot of guys. It looked like he had, you know, flashes of brilliance and flashes of not brilliance. So it'll be very interesting to see what they get out of him in the fall league. Kind of on a similar track, and also, do you want to say something, JJ? You look I like was going to say, I wanted to add in a little bit on Gore. I, the thing that is encouraging is in that, in that return after basically being sent, I, I think I watched every start uh, I, on MILB TV, every start that Gore made, after he came back and I watched, I think, I think I've actually at some point watched every start that Mackenzie Gore made in a non-complex uh, field in 2021. And if you look at what he was before they sent him down, he was all out of sorts. If you purely graded, if you just said, here is pitcher a, and you watch the guy in El Paso, you would say, I don't know like if this guy, I mean, maybe he's an up and down guy, but there was nothing that you were seeing at El Paso. It wasn't just the results and the results were pretty poor. I mean, he was a 289 batting average against 12 walks, 18 Ks and a 585 ERA. His FIP was probably, I don't have it in front of me, it was probably worse than that. Probably the most distressing thing was 56.5% strike percentage. Really, you want to see that generally above 60%. He didn't have command. He didn't have control. 
and he didn't have stuff. Other than that, it was, you know, that those were the, the three on the to-do list, which are a big three on the to-do list. When he came back, I did, you could see the stuff was better, not still Mackenzie Gore in his best stuff, but the stuff was better. And the command and control was generally better, although it still wavered. That's where I'm going to be interested to see. The thing that to me is, is like when you say, okay, well, what is success for Mackenzie Gore in the AFL? It's going to be a few enough innings, a few enough outings that the ERA, the hits per nine, the walks per nine, the strikeouts per nine may not reflect either whether he's, you know, may not fully reflect whether it's a massive improvement or not. Because a bad inning, what when you watch his San Antonio starts, he would have innings that were really good, and then he would have innings where it all fell apart. The thing I, I want to see in the AFL is, is, are those innings where it kind of falls apart less happening less frequently? And, and that's, to me, kind of going to be the uh, that and the stuff. But he's not throwing enough strikes right now. He doesn't have that breaking ball that he's had before. There's a lot still here to be worked on. I don't expect, I don't think there's any way that Mackenzie Gore is going to be back to being Mackenzie Gore that we saw two years, two 2019. I don't think there's any way that that's happening in the AFL, but you want to see progress towards that would be to me what I kind of see. I agree. It'll be very, very interesting. And kind of on that same vein, I think today in the AFL opening day is, you know, in parentheses, lefties who had trouble throwing strikes and have first round pedigrees day because Asa Lacey is also getting the nod today. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to go look to see if they're facing each other because that would be uh, something. But I mean, you know, Gore's year and the fact that Gore was, I want to say more famous than Lacey coming into the year or yeah. equally famous. More famous. Um, I mean, he was a top, I mean, he was a higher ranked prospect than Asa Lacey ever has been. I mean, Lacey was, I think, number four on our board. In, right. in but I'm saying as a, pro, as a pro prospect, Asa Lacey, Mackenzie Gore was higher on our board in his draft year. And as a pro prospect, he's high ranked higher on the top hundred than Asa Lacey ever has. Uh, regardless, um, this year, Mr. Lacey at high A, two and five, 519 ERA. So, well, identical 7.1 hits and walks per nine innings with uh, about 14 strikeouts per nine. That is not what you want. No. At, and, at, at all. Uh, no. They've, they've, done, they, they've done a pretty good job at the Royals with college pitching in recent vintage. Um, this one has not started off well. So we're going to see whether or not he can throw strikes, uh, quality strikes, on a consistent basis in the fall league, he'll be almost as interesting to watch, I think, as Gore. I think in some ways he's more interesting because you saw with him, the to-do list with Asa Lacey is much more about control and command. Like with Gore, it's getting that stuff back and control and command. Lacey can miss bats, but we talk about, I love strike percentage. Strike percentage is an important stat to me. Asa Lacey, 57.7% strike percentage. Again, if you're below 60%, you're not throwing enough quality strikes. And Asa Lacey did not throw enough quality strikes in 2021. 
I, I actually, you, you mentioned about the, the Royals and pitching. They've gotten a lot of these college pitchers to the big leagues. They still have a, uh, some further work to do on having these guys have success in the big leagues. Um, I think that they can get there. But right now, you look at, to me, the success of the Royals in, in 2021 at the minor leagues was their hitting development did a great job. So Lacey's strikes, let's, let's flip it to something more positive, Josh. We talked about pitchers who have mm-hmm. a lot to, uh, to put together here. But we also, as we normally do, we're going to see guys in the AFL who are here largely because they're making up for lost time because of injuries. And I can't think of a guy more exciting for that than Gabriel Moreno. Oh, sweet mercy. I would walk there on bare feet to see that guy. I remember I live in North Carolina. The reviews we were getting on Gabriel Moreno were, I think, the best reviews on any player I've gotten in eight years of being at Baseball America. He, every guy came back with either all-star, perennial all-star, or even better than that. Uh, you know, I, on my personal board, have him as the top catcher in the minor leagues, and I understand Adley Rutschman exists. It's not a huge swath, but I, I just could not, could not have even fathomed the things that were coming out of scouts' mouths about him. I mean, there was one a quote in our Northwest or Northeastern league, double a um, uh, top 10. That was uh, something like, it's not a question of whether he's going to be an all-star. It's the amount of all-star games he's going to make by the time he's 30. And it's like, and another who, you know, put him in the hall of fame. It's like, wow. Okay. And the only thing I think that may have prevented him from you know, jumping Adley is the fact that he broke his thumb. When I think you guys, uh, if we'd find the Slack message, you could think it was it was literally dripping with rage when I saw he wasn't on the Futures game rosters before I knew he was uh, injured. I was like, what is happening? You might as well not even have this event if you are going to not have Gabriel Moreno on it because he is the future of this sport and the future of the Blue Jays. And he's going to be sitting at home. Oh, no, he broke his thumb. Okay, fine. You get a pass this time, Futures game, but you're on notice. Uh, So I'm very, 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 very excited to see him. And I found out digging through video archives that I have seen him before, apparently. Uh, It was very sparingly. um, But on the beloved 2018 uh, Appalachian League playoff series that featured, in order, Shane Boz, Matthew Liberator and Shane McClanahan, uh, and then uh, Wander Franco. I can't believe I had to remember his yeah, name. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, at that, shortstop, that, that, wait, wait, wait. Shortstop, uh, best prospect in baseball. Uh, one of the best players. Hey, 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 in- hey, 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 hey! Not a prospect anymore. Um, he's a bona fide big leaguer. Um, Wander Franco, uh, Jonathan Aranda, or Aranda was on that roster, and then I looked at Gabriel Moreno was the backup catcher to some guy named Alejandro Kirk. Decent series. That is incredible. That is that is incredible. That is oh Jordan 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 Groshans too. Uh, And I remember because because Groshans and Kirk destroyed Shane McClanahan. I mean Groshans, both their balls might still be traveling, but anyway, 
Moreno. Well, no, 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 I mean, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I've got to interject here because for the podcast listeners, you have to understand something. Superman has kryptonite and Shane McClanahan has Josh Norris being in the stadium. Josh has never in person. If you based it purely off of what Shane McClanahan has done in games that Josh has been at, Shane McClanahan should have been released after his, you know, like I think, I think it's 20 earned runs in four innings and one case of food poisoning. Uh, we we actually, we, when he had the bad outing in the division series on Slack, we did ask if Josh had secretly flown to the game because that, that would have been a logical explanation for it. There's a, like, when I come into the park to see him, which probably won't ever happen again, uh, you're welcome, Shane. Um, I feel like the, the TikTok sound is, well, that's a mistake. And my TikTok fans will, will get that reference. Uh, but yeah, it, 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 I've, I've gone back a few times and looked at the outings and it's like, he's given up grand slams. He's usually not making out of the third. It, and, that, and in that playoff game, he did not fare well. He, oh, I can't believe I'm going to go in depth on this, but I'm going to. He was only saved by the grace of Wander. Wander hit a ball so hard the day before that it hit the first baseman in the the ankle. And they showed me a picture of that guy's ankle the next day, and the welt was the size of a softball. So <laughs> flash forward to the next day, and he had to put in someone else at first base because this other guy couldn't move. A key error at first base opened the floodgates for a late rally, and Princeton won that series. And that's the the long play for Wander, but him lining the ball off of whoever that was at first base saved Shane McClanahan's bacon the next day. So anyway, so, tales of Wander are amazing. <laughs> so I, I will also point out in addition to Gabriel Moreno, I'm, I'm, you are not, I'm probably almost equally as excited to see CJ Abrams back on the field. Um, Abrams. Abrams was having the year we expected him to have, I would say, mm -hmm. and then had a pretty significant uh, injury, leg injury in the midpoint of the season, missed the second half of the year. And now we get to see him back. Now it's one of those things, again, you don't want to do too much. Like if he comes back and he's not showing the same speed, the same burst that he did pre-injury, I don't think it's fair to make any sweeping generalizations that, oh, well, C.J. Abrams will never be the, the, the twitchy speedster he was pre-injury. It's coming back from an injury like that. But that said, just getting him back in the box, just getting him back on the field, very uh, another guy who, to me, is very important to see return in the AFL. Yeah, oh, I mean, we are a minor league preview. Our cover was Bobby Witt Jr. He had a good year. Um, Riley Green, a minor league player of the year in almost any other year. Um, I mean, I, his, his year almost goes under the radar. It was so good because Bobby Witt was even better. Uh, and CJ Abrams, who was doing quite well at double A in, let's remember, and time is a flat circle, but their first, I think it was all three of their first full professional years when, with actual games that counted. And he was doing quite well at San Antonio. And then, you know, the injury happened. So he's going to get a chance in the fall league to show 
I mean, he'll probably, because the, the competition I imagine in the fall league is not going to be as good as it was in double A, certainly not uniformly. You're going to face some pitchers who have less experience or, or who are just not as good. And you're going to get plenty of chances to make up for those lost ground, just like Moreno. So I, I am equally excited to see him, but Gabriel Moreno is my man crush. So yes, please still be there on November 1st, sir. Yes. Uh, and the good news is, is I think he will probably be there the whole, logically, barring an injury or something, he should be there for the entirety of the, of the AFL. He needs the at-bat. It's not like catchers in the AFL are worn out because they carry multiple and you got to get it. That's something actually, you know what? That's a perfect thing that you can explain to people is, is <laughs> the AFL, one of the headaches of the AFL is if you are involved with a team or the administration of it, because this is a situation where you are juggling the needs of multiple organizations on one team. And that comes with it. A lot of, you can play this guy, this guy, he's a priority guy. He has to play a lot. This guy is a taxi squad guy. He can only play on these days. Please explain that to people because that's something I think a lot of fans and listeners may not fully understand. Yeah. I mean, that's, you kind of explained it, but you know, you don't just get to say, if you're a club, you don't get to say, well, here are my six guys, period. No, if that's the case, you're going to wind up with a roster of like 60 pitchers and maybe no outfielders. You have to distribute the, uh, the talent in such a way where you, you get priority guys, you get taxi squad guys, you get guys who might, you know, play two days a week at X, Y, and Z position. So it's not always going to be exactly who you need from the org and you're not going to get your best guys to play every day. Like there, there are, you know, there are, I think two years ago, Julio Rodriguez was on the um, Peoria roster. And you'd think, I mean, I saw Peoria a fair amount. I think I saw Julio twice, um, maybe. And I think it was for like half a game both times. So they don't even get, you know, they're not, he wasn't playing every day, all day, you know? There are, you're not going to get nearly the amount of at-bats you want as if it were just, like we said in the beginning, like a just a Cubs team or just a Mariners team or whatever. It's You have to split time with a billion other priority guys. So, you know, it, it will be, you're not going to get as many at-bats as you want for Gabriel or whoever. But, so, okay, I think the perfect way to kind of end this is something that you would be the best person I could think of to 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 ask about this, which is, as a fan, if I'm listening to this and I say, okay, you've convinced me, I need to check out the AFL for the first time. What should that fan know? What are some, some tips? If you are a baseball nut and you're going to the Arizona Fall League for the first time, what are a couple of things that it would be useful for that, that fan, that person to know? If you're a fan for going to the Arizona Fall League for the first time, I'd say the first thing is, you know, you're going to see a ton of really good prospects. And a lot of, a lot of times you're going to get a chance to see two games in one day because you'll have games that start at 1235 and then you'll have games at, at 635 somewhere else. Not every day. Um, and sometimes it's all the games are at 635. It's, you know, earlier, you know, it, it is Arizona. It is 9000 degrees all, at all times, uh, except for later in the Fall League. But they start them later, earlier, because it, they don't want everybody to melt. On that same note, 
if you have a chance, do not go to Camelback Ranch during the day. There is a reason that place is nicknamed Melanoma Ranch. You are directly into the sun and you can tell. Um, you know, if, if you're a person who likes to get foul balls, you got a pretty good chance because there's not a whole lot of people at these games. If you're a person who wants autographs, I would say usually that's probably good. I don't know what the policies COVID, are going to be yeah. this year in re-COVID. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't even know what the media policies are as far as like in-person or anything, interviews. I don't know if we're doing Zooms or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, if you like the futures, if you like the futures game, uh, that's the thing for you. Um, if not, I mean, if you like the futures game, it's six futures games a day or three futures games a day. Uh, every day okay I'm, no. I'm i'm it's not that it's not that it's not i, I, mean, it I is. love the there's afl just, but it's not there's there it is there, the, there's the, a the talent the talent ranges in the afl there are there are a number of players and especially a number of pitchers pitching every day in the afl who if they showed up in a futures game you go wait what 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 is that I mean, fair? There are a stat. I mean, that's fair, but there's also a staggering amount of future big leaguers of every stripe. Oh, there. absolutely! Uh, it is the best. If you said, "Bang for your buck," where do I want to go to see future big leaguers? The AFL is the place. I don't want to make it sound like I'm poo-pooing the AFL at all. I just don't want people to go to the AFL and think that every player they see on that field is. Uh, if a futures gamer doesn't make the big leagues. That's a shocking, a surprising development, I would say. It happens, but it's a surprising development. I promise you on every AFL roster, there are players who will not make the big leagues because, and it will not be a surprising development. Um, the other, so I did want to ask you also with that, just on the specifics of it, where would you recommend, I'm not saying specific, specific hotel or anything like that, but if you want to do your AFL experience right, Phoenix, thing we love about Arizona is, you can plop yourself down in Phoenix on the east side, on the west side, and you can get to every ballpark. It's drivable. It's not like Florida. You're not driving through Alligator Alley to get to the west side, to the east side, vice versa, all that. But if you are saying where to plop yourself down, what area of Phoenix is the best to aim for for the AFL? I mean, I'm, I'm partial to Scottsdale, that general region. For Mongolian grill-based reasons, partially, yes, but, but but I mean, there's other, they have other locations, um, but you've also got um, Scottsdale and Salt River are right near each other, and, and Mesa and not Salt far. River is the best park I, from a park standpoint. Salt River is the gold standard as far as out there. I, we we could just we could debate that. I mean, I, I like it a lot, but there's a couple things I would change, but. I mean, I love Scottsdale. A, I, I, I'm I thinking as a Mesa. fan, though. I'm thinking as a fan. Oh, yeah. A, I mean, I, I think I think they're all pretty darn good. But um, Scottsdale, or Salt River at night is hard to beat. And it's pretty cool when you get to see a dude hit the ball into the cacti in dead center field. I mean, I remember, last I remember was, I think it was Peter O'Brien hit the ball. And there's probably someone after that. But I remember him hitting the ball into the cacti on the fly and just going, how are humans possible? How, how is that possible by, by mere mortals? And the D-backs watched that and said, be doing... you look like our catcher. Well, at that time, they did because they, they were all, I believe he was with the Yankees still. 
but um, still watched it and said, hey, how would you like to play here more often? You know, this is our home park. And he did. And then he had a very, very long home run at uh, Chase Field. But yeah, I would probably stick in the Scottsdale area. It's just, there's, you know, if you're a person who likes to go out at night and do things, unlike certain me's who are on this podcast, uh, you know, that's a good place to Old Town Scottsdale right. is really nice. But no, I, I'm, I'm asking it from a pure baseball standpoint. I do think Scottsdale, like you, I, I think there are more teams located that side than there are, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, if, if you're, if, if you're on site, if you're, if you say, I'm going to plot down in surprise, you're going to have a lot more traveling to do. Yeah. I, yeah, you, you absolutely would. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's just a very, very fun little place to be. There's a lot of good stuff about it. Um, you know, I've toyed with moving there, quite frankly. The, the thing I would also just add on this is kind of what Josh said. If you are a diehard baseball fan, I, again, we're in COVID, so maybe this is slightly different than normal. Any AFL game you are at, you are, you are in a group with, a, with like-minded people. Like, it is not something where I love the minor leagues. Josh loves the minor leagues. If you're at a minor league game and there are 5,000 people at that game or 3,000 or 1,000, a whole lot of them are there for the entertainment of the event. And so you may be sitting by someone who's a diehard baseball fan, or you may be sitting by someone who shows up in the second and leaves in the seventh. And if the promotions are good and if the kids enjoyed the bounce house and all that, then they had a great night. And there's nothing wrong with that in any way, shape or form. Those fans aren't really at the AFL. If you are, now, there may be a few like retirees in the area who's like, eh, it's nearby. I'll, I'll check it out. But the majority of people who are at an AFL game, they have the same affinity that you do if you're there. That's one of the things that's always struck me. I, I again, I don't want to make it sound like I love the AFL too. I just don't love it at the level that Josh does. But the AFL, every time I've ever gone to the AFL, one of the things that strikes me is, is if you're sitting at a game, as Josh noted, there are multiple days where you can double up. You'll see the same people when you double up a lot of times. And why are they there? They want to see some of the best prospects in baseball, see them before they become big leaguers. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably in that group of like, hey, that sounds like me. And that's one of the things that I think is one of the best attributes of the AFL is from a, if you are a more social person, you can strike up some really fun conversations in the stands at an AFL game. Because again, the people around you probably are thinking the same way you do as far as I want to see Gabriel Moreno, or I want to see if Mackenzie Gore has got it figured out, or I want to see, you know, I, I heard good things about Ryan Kreidler, but I want to see it for myself. That's one of the awesome things about the AFL. Anything that we haven't covered about the AFL before we wrap this up that we need to cover, Josh? No, I'll just jump off your point. You know, um, it, it is a very different atmosphere there. And if you're the person who are, is the casual fan and goes to minor league baseball games, well, you're not going to get that same atmosphere. There are no fireworks nights. That'd be a bad idea in the desert. You don't get, uh, there's no mascots. There's no in-between inning games. There's ads for, I like, forget what the I 
brand of eye tonic is, but that's you'll have that. You will see Susan, and she will be telling every Diamondbacks player that they are the best in a million universes. It doesn't matter if they are bad or good. If they are wearing the Diamondbacks uniform, she will be telling them that. And you will see her rival, Flag Girl, who will wave, I think, I think the term is semaphore, flags over and over and over again. Rhyme or reason, I, don't, I still have yet to figure out that they are rivals, and it is fierce. It is Hatfield, <laughs> it is McCoys, it is Yankees, it is Red Sox. There are reasons they are rivals that I will not go into on this podcast, but you can sense the tension in the air. But this is these are these are not minor league baseball games, quite literally, because they are not minor league baseball games. They are run by major league baseball, uh, but they will not have all the trappings of a regular minor league baseball game. There's not a whole lot of time spent on promotions here. The best promotion in the last, in, you know, in the seven or eight years I've been doing the fall league has been Tim Tebow. Um, and that was the biggest attendance booster in, you know, that you, you could, you could say Mike Trout was playing there and I don't think he'd get the, the crowd. We, we can say that Mike Trout did play there and he did not well, get I mean, the crowd. This, this year, this <laughs> year, this year, because he carries a little more weight right now. Uh, if you were rehabbing for, I don't know, something uh, there right now, uh, he probably wouldn't get as big a crowd as Tim Tebow did. That was, you know, I remember that year he, Literally, and I'm making air quotes right now, saved a fan's life uh, during one of the games. But the point is, it's prospects, it's really great ballparks, it's usually pretty good weather, save for the random haboob. Um, it's the future of the big leagues right now. You will see a ton of these guys in the big leagues next year at some point, probably pitching in the playoffs uh, at some point. Uh, if you're you know, a Red Sox guy, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here. Nate Yavaldi was in the fall league in one of the years I went. Tanner Houck was literally the, la the last time I was there. This, one of the starting pitchers was Tanner Houck. There's, I think there's probably 10 big leaguers from the last fall league game I was at. Low these many two years ago. So these guys will be appearing on playoff rosters. These guys will be, you know, making impacts for your favorite team in short order. These guys will pop up at the Rule 5 draft, at which point J.J. will do his happy dance for the, the length of time the Rule 5 draft takes. Uh, I, it's, it's just, it's, you know, Disney be, be, be damned. This is the most wonderful place on earth. It, it is. And it is the, the thing he also, that, that Josh kind of said there, it's pure baseball too. As if you, if you're the kind of crusty fan who, who hates the between inning promotions and all, this is this is it for you. Not only that, well, but I, I guess there's, there's a weird duality there. If you hate the between inning promotions, you may also be in the group of fans who are like, I hate pitch clocks. And if that's the case, you're not going to like the fact that there's going to be a very aggressive pitch clock at these games. So and there's been you, pitch clocks for like four years now right, in the fall. But they, they sped it up, though. It's now a 15-second pitch clock. So we'll see if it makes it. I'll be interested to see because you have seen many examples of the the normal pitch clock, and now you'll get to see the more aggressive pitch clock. We'll see if that makes a difference. But yeah, I just the, only, the, only thing that, the, the only thing the crusty fan will not like is, you know, as far as pure baseball is, there's going to be a lot of pitching changes. If you see a guy goes more than five innings, you may you, you see a comet. You know, I, I just called up the 2017 AFL. Oh, who led the AFL in homers that year? Ronald Acuna. Who was second? Austin Riley. Speaking of guys playing in the playoffs. Or unfortunately, Acuna is not right now. 
But that's that's the best case scenario of what you're talking about here is you are talking about stars of the future starring right now. Yeah, I mean that and you know, first of all, I want to correct myself. The best promotion the Fall League ever had was Michael Jordan. Uh not yes. not Tim Tebow. So Josh is counting the days until he heads out to the desert to see his AFL games. That's a, I, I will be uh, watching it from far. Kyle Glazer also going out for us to the AFL. It's coming. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's here. I thing. shouldn't say it's coming. It's here. At some point, these games need to be streamed. There's two games this year that are going to be televised and or streamed. And that's the championship game and the fall league and the uh, fall stars game. Other than that, they're not on. And that's really a shame. Like this, it's 2021 people. We have the technology to do this. Uh, and the fact that we're going to get two games in six weeks is nutty to me. These are big league stadiums. It's not like these are Appy League stadiums or sorry, Appy League. It's not like these are complex league stadiums. These are big league stadiums with Hawkeye data and everything you well, want. They, only, unfortunately, in some cases, only as only not as much Hawkeye data as we would like. But yes. Right. But the point is, come on. But people want this. Josh wants this. Perfect way to wrap it up. For Josh, I'm JJ. So long, everybody. <laughs>